Andrew Gamason saying welcome to this Good Friday edition of the Speaking for Him podcast coming to you once again from my home studio here in the great uh, hamlet of Howard City. Anyway, I hope that you are all doing well out there. I know that for some of us, we've been at home a lot lately and uh for me, it's coming close to a month, which is definitely a different experience. Um, but I've also experienced some really neat opportunities to reach out to people and to um, video chat with them. Uh, so I'm really counting my blessings, uh, despite the frustrations of being um, an extrovert that's living in an extremely introverted environment right now. But I'm thankful for things like this podcast, which allow me to interact and articulate with the people who are listening. And I want to thank my listeners for continuing um, to be faithful listeners and supporters of what I do here with the Speaking for Him podcast. Well, uh, today um, is a very special podcast. I often say when I do these shows that it's my my favorite day of podcasting that we do is Good Friday. Uh, because without Good Friday and uh, Easter Sunday, which follows on the third day, we would not uh, be here ministering to you. There would be no reason for a ministry without Good Friday. So today we're going to dig into that, and as the years go by, uh, I praise the Lord for almost, uh, well, for about, um, almost exactly, uh, seven and a half years of podcast ministry, as the years go by, it becomes a new challenge every year, and an increasingly difficult challenge to give you fresh content to help you reflect on this season in a way that will be memorable and will be moving and will hopefully impact your life for good. And so I hope that what I have brought for you today will do that. Today we're going to be looking at the uh, perspectives on Passion Week from the characters who lived it. You know, I think sometimes we can read through the, the story of Passion Week and we see all the characters there, but they kind of mesh together in a way that we don't necessarily think of them as individuals and think of uh, them as just individual parts of this bigger drama that is at play. Uh, but, you know, and I think as someone who appreciates the arts and has been involved in theater, I uh, get a new appreciation for uh, Jesus and God as storytellers as they're unfolding the drama of the Bible. And the drama of the Bible climaxes uh, or uh, comes to a crescendo in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because um, the climax, of course, is yet to be written. It's coming um, as the book of Revelation continues to be fulfilled. But the crescendo, the changing point is is seen in in the arrival of Jesus Christ on the scene first of all and then his death burial and resurrection because as we know um Jesus death um 
and resurrection was so significant to history that at one point we changed our uh, our the way we calculate years from BC before Christ to AD. That was the significance of it, and a lot of people have gone away with away from that with before Common Era and Common Era because they want to get away from um, Judeo-Christian things, but it is nonetheless a significant event in the course of human history that the Redeemer came to give himself for us. Um, The Bible says that he came after the fullness of time for the sins of all mankind, and he redeemed those who were under the law. And that is definitely you and I, and we can definitely rejoice in what God has done for us. So, as I open this up, I just want to share this as the quote of the day to kind of center our thoughts. And it's by William Penn, and he said, No pain, no palm, no thorns, no throne, no gall, no glory, no cross, no crown. And it just is looking at the contrast of what Jesus went through for us and what the ultimate result was when he was um, when he was with the disciples before he went to the cross he prayed that God would restore to him the glory that he had before the world was and in order to do that he had to be obedient unto the to the death even unto death the death of the cross as it says in Philippians and so We can be grateful for that today. So let's look at these different perspectives on Passion Week um, through the eyes of individuals. Um, First of all, to Mary, he was her beloved firstborn son. Um, And we can see that when we look at John 19, 25-26. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then it continues, Behold thy mother. And um, so the significance there is that Jesus is leaving um He's not going to be around. He's going to go to be with his father after the resurrection, of course. And so he wants to make sure that there is provision for his mother. I find it very touching and heartening that even while Jesus is is on the cross um, and he's, he's doing the battle of the ages between darkness and light, between heaven and hell, he is still caring for earthly responsibilities. He still wants to make sure that his duty as um, the oldest son, and it is presumed that Joseph has passed away by this point because we never hear anything more from Joseph after the 12-year-old in the temple incident where Jesus was, was missing from his parents for three days. And, of course, that passage is another great example of her motherhood coming out because she's like... Basically, to paraphrase, she says, well, why would you, why would you scare us like that? 
you know, why would you put us through this? And then, of course, Jesus says, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? So very important for us to know and very important for us to see that Mary was a human being and she was going through, no doubt, a lot of emotion that day. It was actually prophesied by Simeon in the temple when Jesus came there at eight days old. He said, a sword, he said to Mary, a sword will pierce thine own soul also. And I have to imagine that as she's watching Jesus suffer on the cross, that, that those thoughts are going through her mind as she is experiencing this. Okay, so to Mary, he was her beloved firstborn son. To the disciples, he was a beloved teacher. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we do not know... We. We know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known the Father also. And from henceforth you know him, and have seen him. Philip saith, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus said unto him, How long have I been so long with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The works which I speak unto you I speak of myself. But the Father dwelleth in but but the Father dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. John fourteen, one to ten. And I I also want to reference at this point the verses in 1 John chapter 1 where John is saying that which our hands have handled, um, that's that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that, that which our hands have handled of the word of life. Talking about a very physical, very important relationship that he had with the God of the universe um, uh, through his son Jesus Christ who was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you see in these disciples, uh, Jesus uh, could could see into their hearts and he knew that they were troubled. Um, and so he is saying to them, let not your heart be troubled. He, he says to us, I think I've read before, that 365 times in the Bible, he says, do not fear. Because he wants us to, to live our lives free from fear. And to be able to to have that mentality that he is in control and that he knows what is best for us. And that's, that's particularly appropriate for this time in which we are going through where everywhere we look there's all these precautions and, um, you know, people are trying to stay healthy and then, you know, people have all kinds of varying opinions in the news media and whatnot um, with this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus stuff. But God is in control, and he knows what he 
is about. And what he was about was making sure that the disciples and you and I had a place to be in the future. Uh, it's interesting to think about the fact that if he had chosen, uh, hypothetically, just hypothetically speaking, if he had chosen to stay on the earth with the disciples and not go through the death on the cross, then the disciples would have died in their sins. And they wouldn't have been with him for all eternity. As Paul says um, at the end of 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18 he's talking about the coming of the Lord. And his last words in that passage are, comfort one another with these words. Why are we comforting one another with these words? Because we know that Jesus is coming back for us. And that was the promise that he made to the disciples. And and because of the promises that God had kept, remember we talked about in the beginning, in the fullness of time, Jesus came to redeem us. Because of the promises God has kept, we can believe that God will keep his promises going forward. And so, um, much to be thankful for there. Okay, our third person that I want to talk about is Judas Iscariot. You know, I often think about Judas because obviously God had an ultimate plan for Judas and everything went according to God's ultimate plan. But there's another aspect where I don't think God wants anyone to die in their sins and go to hell. He says, I'm not willing that any should perish. So what do we say about Judas? Well, um, we we say that he he never really embraced the truth of the things that Jesus was speaking. I often think that perhaps Judas was looking even more for the earthly deliverance from Rome than the rest of the disciples. I think they all were feeling it. They all were hoping for it. But I think perhaps Judas was in it uh, for that perhaps more than the others. But one thing we do read about Judas is that he um, had held the money bag, and not only did he hold the money bag, but he also took money out of it for himself. So he was very much into it for the money. And then, of course, we also later read that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so we read in uh, John 12, 4-6, says, Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Again, John twelve four to 6 And as we look at this, we see J- Judas wasn't looking out for the poor. Judas didn't have a care for the poor. And we have an implication from other passages that perhaps it was multiple disciples that made this observation or complaint. So perhaps some of the disciples were thinking about the poor when they said this. But for Judas himself, uh, he held the money bag and he was a thief. And he knew that whatever they put in there for the poor, he could take out of. And so... Um, so it's just a very interesting thing to think about that he wasn't thinking about the poor but he was thinking about himself so to Judas he was money to be had 
So what do we have so far? We have to Mary he was a beloved son. Her beloved firstborn son. To the disciples he was a beloved teacher. One they did not want to lose. They wanted to go be with him. To Judas he was money to be had on at least two different fronts that we see in scripture. And to the religious leaders he was a threat to their popularity and power. Continuing on, we see in John eleven forty seven and 48, Then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees in a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. John eleven forty seven and 48. Now, one important thing that I want to point out here is the fact that when I was a kid I used to think that the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders just thought that Jesus was a false teacher I mean they called him Beelzebub you know they I thought maybe they legitimately thought that he was a false teacher and there may be some that did but I think the overall tenor of, of what we see in the scriptures of their battles with him were not about whether he was a false teacher. They never challenged any one of his specific teachings. They only tried to get him and trick him because they knew that he was popular among the people, because he spoke with authority. Remember, there's a scripture in the Gospels where it says these temple guards or these these uh, law enforcement officials were sent to arrest him and bring him into custody and they said where is he why didn't you bring him and they said no one spoke like this man that's pretty much all they said because when Jesus spoke it was humble but it was through a sense of authority and you you knew and had the feeling that he knew what he was talking about when he spoke and so that's an important thing for us to realize as we um, are thinking about this. And so they were more concerned about their popularity than, than acknowledging and recognizing who the Messiah was. And it's interesting, a lot of them were required to memorize large sections of the Old Testament, and yet they missed who he was, and as a matter of fact, they would quote some popular verses from Psalm 22 to him. Basically, they fulfilled the prophecies of Psalm 22 when they mocked him on the cross. And uh, so, again, God's prophecies fulfilled, but these people missed Jesus when he was standing right in front of them in physical form. So how much are... How much easier is it for us to miss Jesus if we are not careful and if we are not seeking him and if we do not have the intervention of the Holy Spirit of God? Our next one is to Pilate. He was an innocent, possibly slightly crazy victim of a political game. Um, But Pilate answered them saying, Will ye that I released unto you 
the king of the Jews. For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said, unto, answered and said again unto them, What will ye that I should do unto them, whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Mark ten nine to thirteen. Now, this is an interesting thing here, too. I've always been fascinated by the character of Pilate. There's quite a few different factors involved here. First of all, Pilate says repeatedly that he feels that Jesus is a, an innocent man. There's no fault in him. He thinks that he's going to be able to just whip Jesus and let him go, and that will pacify the people, and of course it doesn't. Um, so they they demand that he must die. One interesting thing that I want to point out here is that uh, the the religious leaders, the people that are accusing Jesus now here in this story, they tried to say, well, um, we're not in bondage to anyone. Because Jesus basically said, you're in bondage to your father, the devil. And, and you've been in bondage, your people have been in bondage your whole life. You know, bondage to the Egyptians, and they were currently in bondage to Rome, and yet they insisted they weren't in bondage to anyone, and 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 yet those not in bondage to anyone still had to ask Rome for the right to murder Jesus, and so it's just an interesting juxtaposition to think about the fact that they are asking their authorities in Rome if they can have permission. To crucify this man who has threatened their popularity. So, and um, Pilate knows he, you know, he knows that they're just envious of him, and so he brings out Barabbas. He, he, I picture him just picking the worst of the worst, you know, and uh, he thinks, well, there's no way they'll pick Barabbas, but they do, um, and so I can only imagine what that's like. Um, I know there is a at least one uh, film that was made where Barabbas is redeemed um, shortly after Jesus uh, rises from the dead because he is convicted about the fact that Jesus took his place, which um, it makes sense that the center cross might have belonged to Barabbas. We have no reason to believe that he... He was indeed redeemed, but it's an interesting perspective to think about. But the point is that um, the Pharisees incited the crowd to say, crucify him. And while I do believe that some of these people um, may have been on the road shouting Hosanna, I, I would say that because um, the trial happened late at night, and um, that it's, it's very possible that there are a good number of people that were at the triumphal entry that were not necessarily at the crucifixion or the trials of Jesus because they were all conducted illegally at night. Um, so that's an important thing to, to think about. And, and the other, as far as different crowds, is just food for thought. It's something I've been pondering a lot lately. 
And so um, I just wanted to throw that out there. And then also one of my favorite observations about that time is that the people when uh, when Pilate says, what should I do with your king? And they say, crucify him. Um, Pilate says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And the Israel, the people of Israel say, his blood be on us and on our children. And I don't think they realized at that point how right they were. Because just like the blood on the doorposts at Passover, Jesus' blood is needed to give us redemption. So, very important for us to realize. And then finally, to us, to us, Jesus is our Redeemer and our salvation. And, um, so I'm just going to read this verse, 1 Peter 3-9. to And I know some of these passages are longer, um, than I would typically share, but I, I was looking at these passages and some of them, there's just really no way to give you a shorter section because you miss so much. So this is first Peter one, three to nine. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you rejoice greatly, though now for a season, if need be, you be in, you are in heaviness, through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, who having not seen you love, in whom, though now ye yet see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. First Peter one three through nine. And so we look at this and we see that um, Jesus Christ um, gave us a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember Paul said, If Christ be not risen, 1 Corinthians 15, we are of all men most miserable, but, because, but now is Christ risen. And so death is swallowed up in victory. And so we will get our, in, our, our mortal bodies will get immortality. Uh, that will just be that will be just be something that we will be able to rejoice in and be glad about. So I hope that your heart rejoices about that. Um, I think it's significant what Peter says here also, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. A lot of times people say, "Well, you can lose your salvation." No, because your salvation comes from God through Jesus Christ. The power of the cross is what saves you. Not your own power in any sense of the word. Paul said it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We are kept by the power of God. My friends, if I could lose my salvation, I would because I, I lose many things. I misplace many things. Um, I'm, I'm just now getting to the point where I'm able to keep my desk fairly clean of clutter because I finally got sick of it and have been more disciplined in that area. But I used to have a very cluttered desk and I would lose things 
that I thought were important. But I'm so uh, grateful that I can't lose salvation because I'm kept by the power of God. And Judas says he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne. Um, I'm going to be presented faultless one day, not because I am faultless. Because if you know me, you know that I have faults. And, and if you bring it to a thought level, it's even worse. But God is good. And he is constantly conforming us to the image of his son. None of us can live a perfect life. The outward man perisheth, but the inward man can be renewed day by day. And how does that happen? Through Jesus Christ receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That is only possible through seeing Jesus as your Redeemer and your salvation. So we have several different people that we talked about today. Again, to review. To, the, to Mary, he was her beloved firstborn son. He was the one that first made her a mother. Even though it was under uh, less than ideal circumstances, and there was a lot of difficulty involved with that, I'm sure she never forgot him as her firstborn son. To the disciples, he was a beloved teacher. This man that they had walked with for three years, and he had taught them so much, and they, I'm sure, at times thought, well, he's going to conquer Rome on an earthly level. And, um, you know, even after he rose from the dead, and, and right before he goes to heaven, they said, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still looking for that earthly recovery of the kingdom. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. And through some wonder that we don't even know, he said, it's not even for the son to know the time. But you, and then he goes on to say, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, um, he was not about setting up an earthly kingdom but he will one day set up an earthly kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth and then to Judas he was money to be had as I said there's at least two instances where we read about Judas um, mooching money off of the Lord and, and hoping he could have money because he was with the Lord because he held the money bag and then he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and then he realized his wrong but instead of going to God for forgiveness he hung himself he threw the money down and he hung himself to the religious leaders he was a threat to their popularity and power okay the religious leaders were not concerned about him as a false teacher they were concerned about him as a robber of their popularity to Pilate, he was an innocent victim in a political game, though he might have been slightly crazy. He, um, I don't know what Pilate really thought of Jesus. There, are, there are, are some indications that he might have begun to be persuaded, but then there are other indications that he was kind of being tongue-in-cheek with the religious leaders that were irritating him so much when he said things like, 
this is this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, and uh, he's this is the King of the Jews, and then he then he then they said, well, write that he said I am the King of the Jews, and he said, what I have written, I have written, and you know you, you'd like to believe that that was a statement of faith. Um, I, when I was reading Killing Jesus by Bill O'Reilly, he said there's a tradition within the Catholic faith that he did come to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. I haven't read any corroborating evidence to that effect, but he is an interesting person in the story, and God used him to fulfill his will, showing that God can use anyone to, to make sure that his will is done. And then again to us, he, if we trust him today, he is our redeemer and our salvation, which is so important to know as we're in this crazy time of quarantining and of trying to trust our leaders, but also to be perfectly honest. And I, and I, you know, wonder if some of you might be feeling the same thing, wondering at what point is it government overreach? Um, it's very hard to decipher that. But the key is, no matter who's in control, no matter who is is um, in power, that God is overall, um, because God's will will be done. You know, the, the leaders thought that they could keep Jesus in the tomb by setting a guard over the tomb, but they were not able to, because... Death was not able to hold our Savior. Death was not able to hold my Savior. And I hope that you can say the same yourself, that this is your Savior, that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. That is so important. And what better weekend than this weekend to make a change in your life, to come to know the God who said, him who cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Is that if you believe on Jesus, you will be passed from death unto life. It's an instantaneous thing. It's a turning, a 180 degree turn in your life. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example. He's headed to Damascus one day. He's persecuting the church, throwing people in prison, presiding over stonings. And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus turns 180, goes into the city and says, what must I do, Lord? God is waiting for you to come to him in faith and then ask him what he wants you to do. He has a plan for you. I believe this with my whole heart and I hope that this encourages you today. Please feel free to share this podcast with anyone that you think will be uplifted this Good Friday. I hope that you have a wonderful Easter weekend and that you can echo in rejoicing with me in the fact that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Have a great weekend, and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, 
H-I-M. You can also interact with us at Facebook.com slash Speaking For Him and on Twitter at Speaking For Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 